Hey guys, John Odermatt here, just coming at you real quick before we get started with today's show. I wanted to let you know that you can get the Lions of Liberty to come to your event. Yes, myself or Mark Clare or Brian McWilliams, we are available to speak at your event, your conference, your convention. Uh, We are available to have a live podcast on site or to facilitate a forum. So if you're interested in having the Lions of Liberty speak at your event, please visit lionsofliberty.com slash speakers. Check out the uh, different topics and things that uh, that we have in our repertoire. And we are happy, more than happy, to fly across the country for the right compensation to deliver the message of liberty to your crowd. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, your favorite weekly show, my favorite weekly show on the Lions of Liberty podcast. I love all the shows on Lions of Liberty, but I'm a little partial to uh, to my own show. Uh, the other two shows... If you don't know them, I don't know what you're doing, but every Monday we kick the week off with a show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, an interview style show where Mark is talking to libertarian leaders and scholars and intellectuals and those sorts of types talking philosophy and politics and all that good stuff. And on Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And of course, Friday is the show. Felony Friday. Get all three shows delivered to your little smart device in your pocket. Some people call it a phone uh, by subscribing to Lines of Liberty on your favorite podcast app. I'm excited, guys, for today's show. Uh, originally, I thought and I planned uh, on having Bill Polte on the show along with Sherry Miller. And Sherry Miller is my guest today, an outstanding woman who has an incredible story. Um, She is tied into Bill Polte, though. If you know who Bill Polte is, he is the guy who is giving away thousands of dollars on Twitter uh, simply for retweeting stuff. He's organizing uh, philanthropy. He's trying to marry philanthropy and social media and doing some incredible things. And Sherry was the recipient of $10,000 from Bill. And Sherry is a formerly incarcerated individual, and this helped her immensely. We're going to get into those details. Hopefully, at some point, I can still connect with uh, with Bill Polte. Bill is a uh, multimillionaire, and I first heard of him from Scott Adams. Uh, Scott was talking about Bill's work. Bill founded uh, an organization called the Blight Authority, which went into communities, uh, I think mostly in uh, in Detroit, Michigan, and cleaned out, uh, you know, dilapidated housing, uh, you know, just eyesores, things that were dangerous to uh, to the community. And he put a system together that gained really national prominence um, using high tech sort of mass production techniques to clear out to uh, do these these uh, housing demolitions. So really cool stuff. And now he's doing the Twitter thing, uh, the Bill Polte Twitter lottery. I call it. I'm excited for you guys to hear uh, Sherry's angle on this whole thing. It's a really really 
cool story. So let's jump into it right now. My guest today on Felony Friday is Sherry Miller. Uh, Sherry Miller, I first heard of her. She was one of Bill Polte's uh, Twitter lottery winners. Uh, she uh, entered, a, I don't know if everyone out there listening has heard of this, but but Bill is a philanthropist and he has been giving away uh, $10,000, $5,500 on Twitter just for people simply retweeting what he sends out. And Sherry was able to hit the uh, the lottery there and won essentially the $10,000 from Bill. And the reason I wanted to bring her on Felony Friday is Sherry is someone who recently was released from prison in July of 2018 um, on charges uh, related to meth possession and trafficking. The case was in uh, May 2014. While in prison, Sherry was able to uh, go through addictions and trauma rehabilitation programs, and she's been able to get clean. And obviously with this $10,000, which we'll talk about, it's been able to help her out as well. So Sherry, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you. Before we you know, get into talking about everything with uh, with your case and uh, your experience uh, you know, in prison and everything that you went through, everything that you faced, um, I'd like to start out before that, um, you know, before you got tangled up in uh, a meth addiction, before uh, you faced charges and spent those, I guess, four four years in prison? Four, yeah, four and a half. Four and a half. So prior to that, you know, you can go back as, as far as you want to. You just share a little bit, little bit about what your life was like, you know, what part of the country did you grow up in, uh, th- things like that. Okay, I grew up in a, a very small rural area in... Uh, uh, Indiana, a little town called Rome City. That's where I was basically grew up. Um, population of about 1,200 people. Um, I was born to uh, my mother um, was had been traumatized at the age of 16 when she accidentally ran over her baby brother and killed him. So shortly after that, my my parents met and. Um, started having this kid. And so my mom, she never really healed from that. Um, so my mom, you know, that was kind of like what, what I was born into a lot of, um, depression, a lot of guilt, a lot of things, you know, just, uh, just a lot of pain on my mom's end. Um, my dad was very strict and, uh, what I consider to be abusive. Um, us kids were very afraid of our dad growing up. Mom spent a lot of time um, just trying to heal from her trauma. Um, I, um, at a young age, I was molested by a family member um, from the ages of four to six. And um, when I was 13, my main main trauma is when I was 13. Um, My aunt, who... My, who was my mom's sister, was always kind of my savior. She always would come and get me and get me out of the house. Um, she did that for years. I loved my aunt dearly. Um, when I was 13 years old, she picked me up after school on Friday. Um, all weekend long, she went from family member to friend to whoever she could get to listen to her and telling everyone she knew her husband was going to kill her. 
I spent the entire weekend with her. She dropped me off on Sunday night. Um, I was convinced he was going to kill her by then. Nobody else would listen to her. And ultimately, he did kill her the next day. So with that being my my, my main trauma, um, I took on the survivor guilt. I felt guilty that I didn't help her. Um, I was angry that nobody else helped her. You know, everybody thought he wouldn't do it, but he did. So I took on all that guilt. I spent from that point on, I spent so much time at the cemetery at her grave. It was just crazy. Um, so I'm 13 years old. And at that point I started using, uh, marijuana and drinking. Mm-hmm. And I, I would, I would do like speeders, like, uh, they called them like mini thins and black mollies and things like that. I like to be high. I like, I like the speed. I like the way it made me feel. Um, but anyways, I went on and, um, I got married right out of school and started having my kids and I didn't do drugs at at that point. Um, I had given up the marijuana when I got pregnant for my first child and I rarely drank, but I married an alcoholic and a drug addict. So, um, and I, I basically got married at a young age just to get out of the house, to get away from my dad. I was very afraid of my father. So, um, I got married young, had my kids, uh, marriage was bad at the age of 26. I ended up divorced and, um, basically, you know, raised my kids by myself. Um, when I was 28, just two years after my divorce, I was introduced to meth. And the first time I did meth, it was like, wow. This is, it, it gave me the self-esteem I never had. It gave me um, a, that inflated sense of who I was, okay, um, and, and that I, I really needed um, because my self-esteem was so low. Anyways, um, for the next 19 years, I would use meth on a daily basis. Um, I did try to quit a few times throughout the years, more so for my my mom and and my family than myself, but I just, I really couldn't lay it down. I was, I, I just liked the way it made me feel. So a couple of years before my arrest, I got hooked up with, um, with large quantities of ice and, um, I dealt, I was dealing, um, quite a bit and I ended up getting caught with a large amount and, um, what was that? to support your, your meth habit or was that to make money or or both? Yeah, it it was, it was more to support my habit, um, than anything, but the money was nice too. Um, I, I really, at that point, I, you know, if I could go back a minute, I mean, I, I had times in my life when I was very successful. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I was a hairstylist. I had an awesome clientele. I had an awesome salon. I ended up losing that two years into my addiction. Um, and then I did other things that I made really good money at, but I would always like choose my priorities would get messed up. I would choose the drug over my career or whatever. And I would, I would spiral and I'd lose it all. So when I got hooked up with the, with the large quantities, um, 
you know, it was one of them moments where, you know what, all, all these years I've been doing drugs and somebody else had the, had, had the large amount and I never did, you know, and I would get ripped off and, and, and it just felt good to be the one to have it. Mm-hmm. Kind of give me a, a, another inflated sense of, of self, you know? Um, so I, I mean, all of a sudden everybody wanted to be my friend. Okay. So when you grow up and you don't really, you haven't really learned how to make friends. Um, and all of a sudden you're popular. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, so anyways, I ended up getting busted and I went to, um, I ended up going to federal prison. Um, so just to backtrack for, for, for a minute here. Now, when you did start selling, um, you know, did you, were you thinking in the back of your mind, you know, I'm, I'm taking a risk here. I could end up in prison. Was that, was that something that was, that you were contemplating? Absolutely. Um, it's something I wouldn't have done when my kids were younger, when my kids were at home, I, I would, I never took that big of a risk with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just a, a user. Um, I, I mean, every now and then I would buy a, a, a larger quantity to sell a little bit so I could have my, without, you know, without having money invested in it. I would do that on occasion, but not very often because I was raising my kids by myself. So it was after they were raised, my, my youngest son went to Afghanistan. Um, he was in the army and my nest became empty that I started taking bigger risks. And, um, I mean, I just didn't, I no longer had the reasons that I had had, you know, to not do it. I know I no longer, I no longer had that, but I also knew that, um, the law of average, you know, proved that eventually I'm going to get caught. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this for a year and then I'm going to drop out. I'll be done with it. Well, at the end of that first year, I was so in debt to the drug dealer that there was no way I couldn't get out. And it stayed that how'd way. You, how'd you get so in debt to the drug dealers? Because you were giving it away or? No, it was more because people were um, stealing from me and robbing me. Yeah. I, I let I let too many people know what was what I had. Um, so I had a lot of people like breaking into my house or just taking, you know, taking dope on fronts and then not paying for it, um, mm-hmm. stealing it, whatever. I had people that stole money from me. So there was always something that, that um, made it impossible for me to pay my debt. So I had to continue doing it until I got busted. And then, of course, it was over. And um, So how did, uh, how did that go down? Um, actually, I had, um, I had been paying quite a bit of money for my, for my uh, mess. Um, and I was offered an opportunity to get a larger quantity or not really necessarily a larger quantity, but the same quantity at a lot lower price, but I had to take a bigger risk by getting it in the mail. And I got caught the very first time that I got a package in the mail. Um, the, um, post office has, they send dogs through, you know, they're, their packages, you know, through the mail and they, the dog hit on my package and they opened it and, um, they already knew, you know, before it was delivered that, um, that it was meth. 
So they did. Did they still go ahead and, and deliver it in order to get you to accept the, you know, accept the mail? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was picking it up at the post office. So um, okay. they, as soon as I, they gave me the package. As soon as I walked out of the post office, um, a SUV pulled up in the front of the building, and he had a little star on his plate. And I thought, this is it. I'm done. And I went and I got in my van and I sit there and I just waited because I knew any minute they were going to surround me and they did. Hmm. So, um, yeah. Well, what did you, I'm just curious at that moment, you're sitting there, um, you know that you're going to be getting arrested. What did you feel at that point in time? Um, I just knew it was coming. So, um, I was, I guess I was kind of shocked, but I was, I was just heart sick um, that I had let it come to that. You know, I was, I really had wanted out of it. This was an opportunity to get my old dealer, uh, you know, get him paid off and, and be done with it. So I was just, I was just heart sick. Um, you know, my kids, I had grandkids by then. I'm 40 going on 47 years old. Um, I finally, you know, I finally had a few things in life. Um, I had a business and, uh, a home and, and all of a sudden I'm, I just see it all vanishing right before my eyes. I knew I wasn't coming, coming out for quite a while. So, um, the officer who approached me in, in, in the notes, it said that, my face was gray and I, and it probably was, I, you know, I had lost the color in my face, I'm sure. So, um, but you know, I, I, at the same time, I never cried. I, I knew it was coming and, and there, I had nobody to blame but myself. So I didn't wallow in self pity or anything. I just sucked it up and I went in and I did my time and made the best of it. Took the, you know, took programs that I knew would help me with my traumas and with my addictions. So um, it wasn't really a bad experience. The hardest part of it was sitting in a county jail for 21 months waiting to be sentenced. That was why, tough. why was that the hardest part? Um, because in jail, it's not like being in prison. In jail, you're like, you're stuck in a, in a cell block. You never see daylight. You are just stuck there. Mm -hmm. No treatment, no, no anything. There's nothing there. You're just being warehoused. Whereas when you go to prison, I, I went to a camp, so um, a federal prison camp. So I, I was able to be outside as much as I wanted. I, I took all these classes. I took computer classes and, you know, some different things and then all these programs that was just so life-changing for me that um it really wasn't a bad experience it was almost like being at a college campus to be honest hmm. uh, other than the fact that i was away from my family right and you, and you can't leave <laughs> um, yeah you can't leave i mean i could have walked off but if you walk off then you're going to get five years right yeah you're just putting yourself in eight. more trouble yeah um yeah. so when, when you were in jail um, you know, you're talking about your situation. You're, there's, you're locked. You're basically locked there all day, no daylight. Were you going through, you know, having symptoms of withdrawal or anything like that from from your addiction? Or? No, I think 
I think for the first couple of weeks, um, I slept quite a bit. Um, and, and I just, I started to heal. Um, and it, it took quite a while. I was very underweight at the time. So they were giving me extra food. Um, and then I would have to go weigh in like twice a week until I got, you know, I gained a, a few pounds and, um, started getting healthy again, but, um, I, I, I discovered later on, you know, as I'm sitting there that, um, the, the meth was really medicating other like health problems that I had too. Um, and I started filling my symptoms from my, from my illnesses. And, um, by that time I had a little bit of heart problems and, um, I have autoimmune disease that I didn't know about at the time, but it, the the meth just kind of medicated that all that i didn't realize i i didn't even realize i was sick before i went to jail so so w- while you were in jail and then prison now i mentioned during your intro you were able to to get re- rehabilitated and work on your addiction to to become clean uh, was there a, a turning point or you know something that uh, you can you can point to as that was important in your recovery? Um, I think, I, okay, I sit in, like I said, in county jail for so long, but after, I sit there for about four months and I didn't have anybody putting money on my book so that I could make phone calls or to even, you know, buy the things that I needed on commissary. Um, and I think that was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because it, when you sit in Take, everything's taken away from you already and you don't have the things you need. I mean, I just decided then that I'm, this is not, this is not the kind of life I want. Um, I'm better than this. I can do better than this. Um, I went into my cell one day and I just screamed out to God and I said, Lord, I can't do this without you. Please help me through this. And, you know, things started changing for me. Um, I got real involved with the the ministry at the at the jail and um, loved. I just loved the Lord and and I started praying all the time and I started seeing my aunt my prayers answered and it was just pretty awesome and mm-hmm. and I think that was what gave me the strength to get through it. it was just God was there for me. That's awesome. So just to uh, to fast forward a little bit here and we, we can come back and talk about talk about more of this stuff, but I definitely want to hit on um, the $10,000 you got from, uh, from Bill Polte. Yeah. So, so you, okay. you got, you got out of prison in July of 2018. Um, you got this, this money recently, right? It was like this past month. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. It was this month. Yeah. Um, actually it was the first of October. Okay. Um, yeah. I've been out of prison for, I don't know, 14, between 14 and 15 months when I got the money and, um, during that 14 months, I'll just call it 14 months during that time. I had, I have moved five times, um, to keep me in, to keep me safe, to keep me out of bad situations. Um, I, I don't have a driver's license. I'm riding a bicycle to work. I'm 53 years old. I don't feel good. I have all these illnesses and things. I don't feel good. There's, there's days that I would just think, you know what? I know a quick way to make money. 
this is ridiculous. I'm never going to get on my feet. I just felt so hopeless sometimes, but then I always would think, you know what, I can go back and I can do that lifestyle again, but I know where I'm going to end up. I'm going to end up back in jail and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I can't do that. So, um, I just, I work two jobs, um, to make ends meet and, I just started the second job maybe a few weeks before Bill gave me the money um, so that I could start saving towards getting my driver's license back. It's just been a money racket. When you get, when you let things go for so long, you know, when it comes to your driving record and then you go to prison and all this, you you come out and you want to get your life back and stuff, but like the, the license, the license branch, you know, you, it's just a money racket. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have a good driver's license when you went in, it's just really hard to get one when you get out. So anyways, I've, I've been whittling away, paying fines and, and um, reinstatement fees and that sort of thing. But it just seemed like every time I would pay a fine and a reinstatement fee, then I would get another suspension for like that, that original charge of driving while suspended or whatever. And then, not having, not being able to prove I had insurance at the time and to really honestly not know if I did or not. And if I did, I didn't, don't know who I had it through. So just a, a lot of things piled up at, to where I never did get my driver's license back. So I'm riding this bike to work, going from one job to the other. I leave, I leave my job to go to the eye doctor and I'm and I'm, I get there like an hour early because it's just too much of a hassle to have to drive all the way back to my house and then to the eye doctor on a bike. So I'm sitting in the doctor's office. This is October 1st. And um, I get on my phone and I check out Twitter and I, I see I have a message from Bill Pulte on Twitter. And at first I thought it was a scammer because there's so many people pretending to be Bill trying to get money from you. Right. So at first I thought it was a scammer. And then I realized this is the, the an original message uh, stream here that I had started with him. And he responded to that, to the uh, a message I had sent him. He didn't respond to the message, but it was the same stream that I had started originally. Right. So then I knew it was him. I knew it was him. And I just, I got real hot inside. I'm sitting at the doctor's office. I want to tell somebody. I want to scream. I want to be, <laughs> you know, but I don't. And it actually took me a couple of days to even tell anybody because I was afraid everybody would laugh at me and think that it was, because there's so many, so much scam stuff going on on the internet that um, I was afraid everybody would laugh at me. So um, I, I actually finally told my kids and I'm like, you guys aren't going to believe this. And my kids were real skeptical and like, mom, do not fall for this. Don't get excited. Well, it's too late. I'm excited. I know it's Bill because I've been trying to get Bill to answer my messages, you know, for the last few months between messaging him and commenting on his tweets. When I would retweet them, um, I would just share a little bit of my story. Yeah. A little, little bit, because your tweet can only be so long. Your comment can only be so long. Mm-hmm. So um, one time I commented that, you know, I'm recently out of prison and, you know, I really need to be able to drive and 
and, and that sort of thing. Um, other times I would just thank him, you know, for considering me. Um, and this went on for several months before he actually um, chose me. And he, and he chose me randomly. He really didn't even know my story um, when he gave me the money. He didn't know until we actually talked on the phone and I was able to share with him. And it was pretty cool because um, he just kept asking me more questions like, wow, this guy really cares, you know. Um, so we had quite a link, quite a extended conversation and, um, he really got to know me and, you know, he, he tells me he's really, he's really happy that he was able to help me, you know, with the money. Um, because now I can get my driver's license back. Um, I can get a car. Um, I can live a better life. Yeah, I think this is this is just such a cool story um, for for a lot of reasons, and that's I mean that's obviously this is one of the reasons why I want to talk to you, but also I mean just just for you to to be able to share your story uh, w- with my audience is, is important as well. But I think that with you winning the the Bill Polte lottery here, it really it really highlights and shines a light on the the needs of those who are. You know the formerly incarcerated reintegrating into society, and I talk about it all the time on this show. And my guests talk about it all the time on this show what they struggle with when they get out: difficulty finding a job, difficulty getting a car, difficulty, you know, being able to pay for a place to live, and to be able to show something like this—that this simple act of kindness to be able to help uh, you get back on your feet. Uh, hopefully, this is something that that we as a society can can build upon because you know people always try to sort of solve these issues by recommending you know different kinds of government programs and we need to do this and put this you know money towards uh, towards this thing but honestly i think the way and you can tell me if you agree with me or not but i think probably one of the ways to to solve this and it, well, just another thing that's popped in my head that people really struggle with when they get out is just finding clothes being able to find clothes to wear um if we just had more if we had more direct charity um, between people using Twitter or, or whatever, um, helping those getting out of prison to to meet these these basic needs, I think that could be a, a huge thing. Oh, I I agree. Um, when I come out of prison, I had the clothes on my back. I had lost everything during the time I was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out literally with the clothes on my back, and I had a pair of gray sweat two pairs of gray shorts and two gray t-shirts and a pair of tennis shoes. I wore a, a pair of shorts and a t-shirt out, had another one in my bag and that was all I owned. So I get to the halfway house and I ask him, do you have like a donation room or something where I can get some clothes? Oh no, we don't have anything like that. Okay. Well, do you know where I can go to get some, you know, maybe get some clothes? Oh no, we don't have any idea. So I had to call my kids and say, I'm sorry, but you guys are going to have to try to find me some clothes. Um, and so, you know, my kids had to go out and buy me some clothes. And it wasn't, I was so thankful and grateful for it. But like my my daughter-in-law didn't know me before prison, so she doesn't really know what I like. So they bring me clothes that I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear if I was to go pick out outfits in a store you know 
so I, I walked around feeling like a clown, like, <laughs> and that sounds funny, but seriously, I did. I just felt like, oh, geez, you know, I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. This isn't me, but it was just, you know, it's just the way it is. And so, you know, and I had to go get a job right away. So, and, and at that time I was right out of prison. I didn't feel good. Um, I was weak. I had to walk over a mile down on busy highway to get to work, um, to make $8 an hour. Okay. Yeah. Hardest work, the hardest work I've ever done. It only made $8 an hour. It was ridiculous, you know? And it's still that way today. I, I work, um, I, I work at a coffee shop and I make $8 an hour and I feel like I put in, um, a pretty good day's work. I'm tired when I get home and it's just really not fair. And, you know, but that's the way it is. You get out of prison. Nobody wants to hire you. You're a felon. Um, people don't trust you. Um, it's just really hard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I do this show is just to, to chip away at that at that stigma because I myself was someone who used to really believe that, to, to believe that people who'd done time in prison, um, it's it's weird for me to say this now, but I, I believe that really, I didn't know if a second chance was warranted and I could not be so polar opposite of that now. Um, I think everyone deserves a second chance. Um, no, nobody should be defined by, you know, one or two or three or five or 10 poor decisions that, you know, that they made in the past. Um, people can change. I, I strongly believe people can change for the better. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just takes a real special person on the, on the hiring end to, um, to accept you and, and give you a chance. Not a lot of people will do that. And I went, from place to place trying to find, you know, a job, you know, close enough that I could walk or ride a bicycle to. And wow. I mean, people just want to turn their backs on you. And and, I mean, it gets scary. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to support myself here? You know, Mm -hmm. how am I ever going to get back on my feet? um, If, if nobody gives me a chance, but I have been, I have been blessed with a couple of, of good people that, that have given me a chance. Um, Christians, you know, people that aren't judgmental, that actually are the ones that have given me a chance. Um, it's a big thing, even though I'm only making $8 an hour. I mean, just to have to know that somebody sees my worth, you know, mm-hmm. and gives, and has given me a chance. I, I haven't lied about my, my past. Um, some people have told me, well, quit telling them that you just got out of prison. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not going to not tell them if it comes up in an interview because then I'll be lying. And and what if they do a background check and they find out? And then right. I'm not going to get stopped. So I I just told myself when I got out, I'm going to be honest about this. God will see me through, and He has. He has. But yeah, I mean, I was at my darkest hour when I got the money from Bill Pulte, um, because I just didn't see any way. I'm, I'm I'm quite a ways away from my my family and my kids, and not walking distance. It's Forty minutes, and um, so I don't get to see my grandkids very often, and and I don't get to see my one son's doing uh, home detention, um, o- over uh, some drug 
charges. So um, I don't get to see him. And, and I just don't, I didn't see any way of ever getting out of that rut. And I was so depressed and it, it was just perfect timing because I mean, I was starting to, you know, have crazy thoughts of, man, you know, I know there's easier way to make money. I've done it before. And, um, you know, I don't know. Eventually it might have came to that if I, if this wouldn't have happened, if I wouldn't have got the money. So I'm so thankful for Bill and, and gosh, he's just like an angel mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Uh, that's how they, uh, you know, that's how they get people stuck in this recidivism trap is uh, exactly. you get caught once and then you can't find a job you can't you can't live live the life you want to and and you, and you get pulled back into it um, and that's what I've said all along yeah. that wow it's no wonder people end up back in prison mm-hmm. and especially those that that they come out and they have to go right back uh, like I okay I, I go and I do some public speaking. I went to uh, Indiana, one of Indiana's men prisons a while back, um, and I spoke to a group of that were in a drug reha- uh, rehab program at the mm-hmm. prison, in, like an inpatient type thing. And afterwards, one of the guys come up to me and thanked me, and he told me, he said, you know, I get out next Thursday, and I'm scared. And he's just a young guy, maybe 21 or so. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going home. To, the only place I have to go is to my mom. So she's a heroin addict. And she's act, an active heroin addict. And heroin is, is my drug of choice. He said, I'm scared because I, I just know what's going to happen. And I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't have anywhere else to go. And I thought, wow, that's just, you know. And then and, and that's why so many end up back in prison. Because they're thrown right back into the place that made him sick to begin with. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have people that's willing to help you, you know, um, to get you out of that environment, to help you, you know, build a better life. I mean, it's just, it's not going to happen. You're going to go back to prison. And, uh, I really hate that. So my plan is to start a ministry next year. I put some of the money that I got from Bill aside and I'm going to start a reentry ministry next year and try to teach some um, economic and social skills um, to people That's coming awesome. out of prison. So, um, and, and not just to people coming out of prison, but it'd be available for anyone. But I really want to help people getting out of prison just because I know how, I know the struggle and I feel like God showed me the struggle for a reason so that mm-hmm. I can. Um, do something to make it easier for people coming out. Um, maybe, you know, maybe I can change one person from going back to prison if, you know, if help's available to them. So mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. I think it's going to be a great thing. And um, everything that I've been through won't be in vain. I'll get to use um, my experiences to help others. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm always amazed. It's almost every guest I have on um, has the same mentality, though. That you know, you get out of prison, and yeah, you you accept that maybe things didn't go your way, and maybe you've gotten a raw deal in certain aspects. But at the same time, I mean, I I don't see you pouting about it, or you know, and then and then you get this huge break, and 
And instead of just, you know, you don't have every right to take all this money to yourself and, and use it on whatever you need to, but you start immediately thinking of others and ways to help other people. I, I just think that's, that's tremendous. Just wanted to, just wanted to point you out, point that out. Thank Cause you. I think, I think it's definitely, uh, definitely important. Yeah. Well, the, you know, this is something that I have been thinking about doing anyways. I didn't know how I was going to do it financially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I was going to someday and it's just, it's just speeding things up to where I can maybe do it in the spring. By then I'll be driving and, um, you know, be able to uh, have more freedom to get out and, and, and build a ministry. Right. Right. So, um, one last question. Um, and then that'll be it. Uh, question I've, I've been asking people recently, and I think it really, it's, it's, it's a fun question, but also I think it, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a, an important reflection on on yourself and, and where you've come from. Um, you know, I think, Everyone has their own gifts. Uh, you know, some people say that people have their own superpowers. Uh, if you had to look at, you know, what you have in life right now, be it you know personality trait or you know some some sort of uh, some sort of uh, you know character trait that you have, is is there one thing that you think really separates you from other people and helps you better to uh, to serve others? Um, I think. I think my faith in God, um, and I don't know that, that doesn't make me special. There's a lot of people that that have a relationship with God, but my relationship with God really um, is is my thing. Um, Also, I have a huge amount of empathy for other people, Hmm. Um, something I didn't have before I went to prison, but I do now, and I think um, with that, I can do a lot of things to help people. So, well, that's did awesome, that, Sherry. Did that answer your question. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I want to give you a chance to do you want to plug uh, plug your Twitter handle or, or anything else where people can reach you? Um, actually, I think I'm prayerful patriot. Um, on on Twitter, I think that's I, it. Yeah, yeah. Um. I don't post a lot about my addiction or anything, but I am going to start doing that. Um, I do have a, also have a, a Facebook group called Recovery Bridge. Recovery Bridge is where I help families and friends and, and addicts find help, um, get them into treatment or whatever that their needs are at the time. Um, I help people get, get the resources that they need. So, that's called Recovery Bridge on Facebook. That's, I'm pretty active on there, um, and I am going to start using Twitter more for things like that. So, Okay, and I'll try to link to both of those on the show notes page. Is, that, is, is Recovery Bridge, is that a, a private Facebook group? or? No, it's public. It's okay. public. It's, yeah, it's more, it's more aimed towards helping um, anybody who's, who comes to me and says, I have a cousin or I have a daughter or my mother – needs help it's, okay. it's, it's family-based like that um i do have you know some addicts that post things on there and um but i i do a lot of my work um privately um through private messages and stuff um once they contact me then i try to help them with resources and, and point them in the right direction 
So that's great. Yeah. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your story. You know, if I say this all the time, if this helps one person, um, which I'm, I'm sure it will, then uh, this, this was definitely yeah. worth having this conversation. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Sherry Miller. Um, her story, of course, with the, uh, the angle, uh, getting the money uh, from Twitter from the Bill Polte lottery is unique. I haven't had a show like that before uh, with uh, that being part of the story. But what was common and which is a theme that I see throughout um, guests I've had on Felony Friday is the trauma uh, suffered early in life that led to um, addiction uh, and ultimately ended up leading to prison. And, you know, if that is just one thing, I just want to stress again, you know, and we could talk about the laws and, you know, when someone should or shouldn't go to prison and all that stuff. I mean, I've talked about it on other shows. I think everybody knows where I stand on that. Nonviolent offenders should not be spending time in prison. Let's just let's just say that right now. But the common theme that, that I see with these stories and I see throughout people who end up spending time in prison is that childhood trauma that leads down that path and pushes people into um, situations where, where they make poor decisions. And, uh, you know, people generally don't just pick a life of crime, don't just choose to break the law and put themselves in situations where they could end up um, spending time in prison. Normally, there's other factors that lead to it. And the shame of it is, is our system, our criminal justice system, does nothing to get to the root cause. So I'm always happy to see somebody like Sherry, who is uh, coming out of prison and willing and wanting to give back to start to address uh, that root cause, which, which I think is really cool. And it's just so awesome. I talked about it during the show. I just want to point it out again. So cool that Sherry won the lottery here, basically, won some money. And, you know, I, every right to, you know, pour that money into her own life and uh, use it all to get back on track. But she's decided to give some back and uh, give back to others. So that's really cool. And hope you guys enjoyed the story today. I think it has a you know a happy ending, and I think Sherry has a bright future. So I'm excited to see where she takes it from here. And you know, guys, if you enjoy this content, if you enjoy these interviews on Felony Friday, please let me know. You can follow me on Instagram at, at John Odermatt, on Twitter at John Odermatt. Follow our Lions of Liberty's account on, on Twitter and Instagram at Lions of Liberty. Find us on Facebook. Join our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum, which you can find by just searching uh, Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. It'll pop up and join it. And if you really enjoy this and you want to help us out, if you want us to reach our goals and really stretch ourselves here and take this podcast to the next level, which we plan on doing, please join the Lions of Liberty Pride. You get bonus content, all kinds of other uh, merchandise and stuff at, at different levels, access to... Uh, the show and things like that so if you enjoy this please consider uh, giving something back to us uh, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash lions of liberty that's all i got guys have a great weekend this is john odermatt signing off always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning <laughs>